You're listening to Interviews with Adam. I am your host, Adam Miller, and today we are talking with Mark Teasdale, who is the author of a book called Evangelism for Non-Evangelists, Sharing the Gospel Authentically. It's a great privilege to have him on the broadcast with us today. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining the many voices for that one message. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you, Adam. Why don't you get us started? You tell your story a little bit about uh, your kind of uh, entry into evangelism and its unique uh, perspective. Um, but where did can, can you give our listeners a little bit of a perspective on your background and your interest in this subject of evangelism? Well, I grew up in uh, in a United Methodist Church, but one that uh, had a very strong sense of the importance of sharing the gospel with others. So, even when we were in our youth group, uh, we would be taken out uh, down into the cities to pass out tracts uh, and to uh, to share the gospel with others. Uh, in fact, for confirmation, instead of going through the sort of standard brand denominational confirmation process, we actually had to memorize the uh, four spiritual laws track, if you know that one, and uh, we had to memorize it, not just the four spiritual laws, but all the scripture that went with it, make sure we could go through the Romans road, that sort of thing. And so I was raised with evangelism as as an important part of my faith at the outset, Uh, but it was very much a a technique-driven evangelism, the idea of here are the things you have to do, the best practices, and that's what evangelism is. As I as I was able to mature, both in in uh, age and in uh, my faith, I had the opportunity to begin to study with some folks who uh, were looking at evangelism in I think a a much more holistic way. So technique was important, but it was also about formation, about who we were as Christians, how we were being formed, and how we could invite other people to come along with us uh, as we were growing in our faith. And so I especially uh, was grateful for the opportunity to study with a man named James Logan. He was my evangelism professor at Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and he really mentored me uh, in time to understand and, and better appreciate all the different facets of evangelism and uh, and launched me in a lot of ways and and as he retired I started my my position as a professor of evangelism in the United Methodist Church so I, I give a lot of credit to him to opening my eyes to the bigger field of what's involved with evangelism and and a better way of understanding how to engage in it rather than just trying to engage in these best practices or conversations to try to sort of guide people to a specific answer, but rather more of a relational way of, of uh, connecting with people. Hmm. It's interesting how you, you, you explain that, because it's something I've suspected for a while, and you kind of start off by talking a little bit about how evangelism, evangelism is something that is uh, taught, it's not something that is inherited kind of thing. Uh, can you explain to us a little bit more of what you mean by the idea that uh, what has happened in the sense of how we've boiled it down to just a few, like four spiritual laws, or these five steps to uh, good news, bad news, or the way of the master, how we always kind of boil it down to these kind of um, micro conversations, and we kind of lose sight of what what is a much bigger conversation, isn't it? 
It is. And, and I think the reason for that, uh, and I get into this in the book a little bit, has to do with the uh, way that, that uh, the Enlightenment and then modernity uh, affected the Church. Um, modernity has this idea that there is an absolute truth, and that's great, Christians can agree with that, but uh, it also suggests that everybody uh, has to kind of line up with that truth, and, and that's very much a, a sort of technique-based thing. So the same way a scientist is trying to find that, that one truth through a series of experiments and, and just get to it, so the same logic applied to evangelism, there's this one truth we want people to get to, and we just need to use the right techniques to kind of get them to that final, uh, final decision. And so we, we reduced salvation in the process of that. We reduced it from this idea of the abundance of, of life that uh, God wants to offer through Jesus Christ to simply a matter of, uh, have I prayed the sinner's prayer? Do I know that I'm going to heaven? And and if that's all there is to it, uh, then it misses out, actually, on a lot of what the Bible teaches us, and even what Jesus teaches us about the abundance of life, about uh, loving our neighbors, about uh, how we live out our salvation and work out our salvation here and now, not just try to claim something that we'll be able to enjoy someday when our mortal body has fallen away. Mm. How do you define evangelism? Because you have a unique take on uh, what uh, uh, people would have traditionally viewed as uh, what you did when you were in your youth, where you were just handing out tracts and kind of standing on street corners, uh, uh, calling people to uh, uh, accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So you have a unique take on what evangelism is. How do you then define it as you teach this to your students? Well, so uh, the way I describe it is, uh, or define it, is that evangelism is a bias for the good news. Um, and, and the reason I describe it that way is that uh, I think evangelism has, has that word ism, or that uh, ending to the word uh, ism at, it, at the end of it there. And, and with that, uh, ism, all isms in English have a bias involved. Usually, unfortunately, they're negative, so racism or sexism. And those are biased against a particular type of person, whereas evangelism, what I argue is, it's a bias not against any person. In fact, it's a bias for all people. The only thing that it's against is uh, is anything that would hinder people from being able to enter into the uh, the full grace and, and goodness of God. So evangelism is is that which is a bias for welcoming all people into the full goodness of God as offered through Jesus Christ. Mm. And I, I explain it that way because, first of all, it gets away from the notion of there being a specific technique to get people there. So I'm not against the four spiritual laws or, you know, being on the street corners. Like I said, I, I did that. Um, I've done that before, and I've certainly prayed with my friends, and I, I reach out to people that I know. I'm not against doing those sorts of things. It's just I don't want to narrow evangelism down and say that's the only way that uh, you can say you're doing evangelism. I want folks, uh, per the title of my book, Evangelism for Non-Evangelists, I want folks who feel like they're not uh, capable of doing those techniques to still feel like God has equipped them to share their story of how God has blessed them. Mm-hmm. and uh, to feel comfortable sharing that in a way that's authentic to who they are, authentic to their own experience of God's work in their life, and uh, that will invite people in a way that's relational and loving 
and not uh, sort of how they may perceive bullying toward getting them to a specific decision in the end. Mm. It's interesting you talk a little bit about uh, uh, the non-evangelist, you know, that's part of the title of your book, Evangelism for the Non-Evangelist, and you talk about this as well, where we've kind of gotten into a rut where we think of evangelism as something that only evangelists can do. We we kind of classify these groups and these titles, and they're often the extremely extroverted, very vocal uh, individuals. that that kind of gives evangelism a niche as opposed to something that everyone is kind of invited into doing. Isn't that uh, kind of a problem and a case for for us to consider? I think, well, I think it can be a problem. I think it can also be helpful. Uh, So I've had the opportunity uh, to work with the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism uh, that's on Wheaton College, uh, headed by Ed Stetzer, and uh, was was privileged to be invited in as one of the first set of fellows for the Billy Graham Center. And one of the things that's been studied, and I think that, that those of us who are the fellows there agree on, is that there is a gift of the evangelist. Um, that you can read about in Ephesians 4, where it talks about how uh, Christ gives gifts to the Church, including apostles, prophets, evangelists. Uh, And so I think there is the gift of of those who are evangelists that have just a particular uh, sort of supernatural way of being able to reach out and have amazing uh, connections with other people. Uh, So I don't want to downplay that. I do think that exists. But that said, uh, I agree with your point, which is if we say that, it doesn't therefore mean that the rest of us uh, no longer have to pay attention to the Great Commission. Um, The Great Commission was given to all of us. The promise Jesus gave us that he would be with us always as the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. Uh, is a promise that's given to all of us. And so all of us have the ability to at least talk about who who we are in Christ, how Jesus has been a, a blessing to our own life, and uh, to be able to invite others to come and to get to know that. And and that's really what I try to break down in the book, is how is it that those of us who don't, don't feel like we've got that supernatural uh, move in us uh, for evangelism, at least we feel like uh, we've got some, some tools in our kit that will make us more comfortable being able to reach out and invite folks to, to hear our story. Mm. You know what I find is interesting is the uh, kind of culture is kind of geared towards evangelism in some way, in the sense that uh, there's uh, all people are somehow evangelizing. There's this real shift of people trying to draw the community around them. Uh, even Apple uh, calls their uh, employees evangelists because they're not just selling a product, they're selling a kind of way of life, aren't they? This is something that has kind of become pr- pretty much a, a, a part of our society where people are drawing attention around uh, their belief system, isn't it? Absolutely. And in some ways, it's nice that uh, that they're coming out and just being honest about it now, <laughs> uh, that the, the rest of the, the society is doing. I mean, for a long time, and, and we've all known this, uh, that uh, when we're, we're sharing the gospel, that there are all kinds of other people who are sharing alternative ways of, of believing, alternative ways of living, alternative ethical stances. Um, so it's always been out there. Uh, that's That's never not been the case. It's just interesting to see how um, over the years, the, the Church in the United States, at least, got a little bit leery of using the term evangelism. It was seen as sort of uh, poor, <laughs> poor, poor social uh, social breeding, to use the term. 
uh, because it was it was awkward for people to talk about it. Uh, and so now all of a sudden uh, we see the corporate sector picking it up. So you're right, Apple, Google, some of these big companies that are out there, and they're using the term because they feel like they've got something good that they want to offer the rest of the world. And so now at least uh, we can we can show people, you know, see there really are other people out there trying to win you over to a particular way of looking at the world, to a particular way of living, and here's the way that we have to offer that as well. So I agree, in some ways the, uh, the world has become much more open to uh, the, the concept of evangelizing, uh, and people are much more open about the fact that, yeah, they want to win you to a specific way of, of looking at things. Uh, and now at least that opens the door for us to share our message as well. So I think there is a, a positive there in that piece. Mm. But there's also the challenge because I think that a lot of Christians feel that uh, on the other side, they've been beat up in the idea of pr- promoting their own views as being narrow-minded, maybe even bigoted. And so a lot of Christians, well-meaning, are afraid to kind of start that conversation. How, how do you encourage people to begin uh, a conversation about their faith with somebody who looks at Christians in such a negative light? Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right that uh, that we are at that spot as well. So on the one hand, uh, the the larger world is is using the term evangelism and acknowledging that uh, you've got uh, these big organizations that are trying to win you over to look at life in a particular way. On the other hand, they're narrowing down um, what the appropriate narratives are, the appropriate stories are that people can accept as being meaningful. And uh, sometimes you you do have folks who are narrowing out the uh, the traditional the, the Orthodox Christian faith uh, as having a legitimate story to accept because it's seen as too narrow-minded or too judgmental, as you were saying, for these other stories. So I, I agree with uh, with where you're going with that. Um, how do you how do you reach out in the midst of it? I think that. You reach out to uh, to folks who are uncertain of the Christian faith, first of all, by offering uh, just an authentic experience from your own life. What I mean by that is that uh, LifeWay Research did a study of unchurched Christians, uh, and this is uh, this was all just published out last year in 2016. And when unchurched, by unchurched they mean people who did not attend church uh, for at least six months, uh, not including special events like weddings or funerals or or holidays, so Christmas, Easter. Um, if they didn't attend uh, for a reason outside of one of those special reasons, then they were considered unchurched if they hadn't attended for at least six months. What uh, what they found was when they when they worked with these people is that nearly eighty percent of them said that if someone they knew were to uh, speak to them about religion, they would be open to the conversation. Only 20% said they either weren't sure whether they'd be open to it or they wouldn't be open to it at all. That, I think, is a very encouraging statistic. It says that the unchurched are actually much more open to hearing about our faith um, than, than we usually tend to think they are. But for me, the key to the question was, if it's someone that they know that speaks to them. So often when we think about evangelism, we don't just think about technique, but we often tend to think about talking to a stranger, you know, passing out the track to whoever it is that's walking along the street next. 
most evangelism, the most effective evangelism, is done by reaching out to people who already know us, who trust us, and who know that we care about them. Um, these aren't people that have to think we're saints. You know, they can have seen us make mistakes before, um, but if they see that our faith is important to us on a day-to-day basis, that we're trying our best to live it out, and if they know that we genuinely care about them, we've got a place of strength, a platform from which to be able to share our faith with them. And uh, the reason for it is by platitudes. It's not by giving them the propositional statements of, this is who God is, this is who Jesus is. It's rather sharing our experience, our story of how God has blessed us. And then based on that, say, maybe you can you can find a way to uh, to see how God would come in and make sense of your life based on how I've seen God making sense of my life. Uh, the way I explain it to my students sometimes is this. All stories, all movies have a, uh, a, a the, the soundtrack in the background, and you can watch the same scene from the movie with two different soundtracks and hear and, and, and experience something completely different. So, you know, I've watched these where they'll show a clip of like the movie Frozen from Disney, and uh, they'll have one with the kind of boppy Disney music in the background, and it's kind of fun and to watch. And then I've seen it where they've shown the same clip, but they have this like spooky kind of eerie music in the background, and it looks like a terror movie instead. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're going to get freaked out by what you're seeing. In a lot of ways, that's what we're doing. We're saying to people, look, you've got your story of how your life has been lived. The scenes are the same, but what does it look like? How do you experience that if you watch your life with the soundtrack of Jesus in the background rather than the soundtrack of whatever else it is you've been believing in up until now? And uh, I think that can be a way of, of sharing with people that's going to be much more open to them uh, and, and meaningful to them than if we're just trying to hammer home, this is what you need to believe, and uh, here's how you have to live once you believe it. Mm. It does seem that we, we try to kind of hammer home points, and it becomes about, uh, really more about debating a lot of times. This uh, actually happened to me when I was uh, in college. Uh, a, a co-worker of mine started to witness to me, not knowing that I was a Christian, and uh, I just kind of let it go. So, figured I'd play the devil's advocate and just wanted to see how easily I could get him off track. And uh, I got him on politics and then it became this huge debate and uh, never really got to, uh, it became a different form of evangelism. It became a, a, a national evangelism as opposed to a Christian evangelism. Uh, it's very easy for us to uh, turn evangelism into uh, these sort of debates, isn't it? It absolutely is, and and unfortunately, it's something that the church has been doing not just recently, but actually, it's something we've done for for centuries. Um, you know, the church has been inserted into politics since the Roman Empire, and so we've we do we can very easily allow the gospel to be co-opted by these other concerns, political, social, you know, whatever it might be, and and so we end up we end up kind of trying to fight this, this long, uh, hold this long line in, in the battle that we're waging uh, when we evangelize then, where we've got to hold the line not just behind Jesus, but behind a particular cultural perspective, behind a particular political perspective. We've got to try to hold the line all the way up and down, and oftentimes that just exhausts us. And if one of the pieces of that line uh, gives way, we feel like the whole thing sort of collapses. Even we personally feel like our faith is is under assault at that point. Um, I think that we really do better to focus on 
that evangelism is about sharing Jesus, um, it's also the work of God. So when we are evangelizing, we're not going in as the first person to try to transform someone else's life. Uh, that's God's work. And so the Holy Spirit's already been there. It's already working in somebody's life. We go in with the prayer, let me be useful to the work you're already doing in this person's life. And, and we look for the Holy Spirit to make the transformation that needs to happen. One of the things that comes from that prayer is being willing to back away and uh, to uh, release the outcomes, to use a, a term that uh, Elaine Heath has used in, in some of her books, uh, to release the outcomes to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. It may very well be that the person doesn't come to agree with everything that we believe, but as long as they're being formed as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, then our evangelism has not been in vain. And and I think that that's a, a kind of humility that we can bring, recognizing it's God's work, and we're participating with God. We're not the ones that are trying to drive God's agenda. Mm. It seems like introspection is a, a kind of large part of your um, your philosophy of evangelism. You have a couple chapters here uh, talking about looking inward uh, to look outward and uh, evangelizing yourself and then evangelizing the world. Uh, what is the value of making sure that uh, we are spending the time and understanding our own uh, our own makeup, our own belief system, and our own core values, as well as understanding the gospel before we try to communicate that with others? I think, so part of what you're getting there is the fact that I have uh, grown up and, and uh, am, have ministered and continue to, to serve in a mainline denomination. And uh, if, you've, if you've read any of the statistics about mainline denominations, you know they're in free fall in terms of the folks that are, are members within, within our, our groups or within our denominations. And, and so part of the struggle that I think we're having is that we're not very clear about what we believe. Um, desperation has sort of led us to just say, you know, we just want anybody to come just so we can boost the numbers. And what I think a, a better response is, is not to be desperate and just to throw open the doors and say, we'll just, we'll just uh, have anybody come and you can kind of be whatever you want when you get here, but rather to be clear about who God has called us to be. And then to uh, be able to invite people to come and to, to share uh, with us in that formation by Jesus Christ. And so that's why you've got that piece there, is that the starting point for us uh, can't be what, uh, what we think someone else needs to become. The starting point has to be, have I been transformed internally? You know, the old saying is, you can't give away what you don't have. And and we can't effectively uh, lead people into the holiness and goodness of God unless we've experienced that first, and unless we, uh, we know how to articulate the way that we've experienced that. So I'm not saying that uh, you have to be perfect before you evangelize. I mean, if that were the case, none of us would ever get around to it, right? But I am saying that we have to at least have done the work of recognizing why are we still Christians. Um, every one of us could wake up tomorrow morning and decide that we didn't want to be Christian anymore, and most people in the world wouldn't care one whit about it one way or the other. So there's some reason we're staying Christian. What is that? How can we explain that? Um, how can we tell other people what 
is so good about Jesus that we won't give up on him, even though there's all sorts of pressure to do that. Um, once we can begin to articulate that, then we're in a far better place to be able to share with others the, the story of how God has blessed and transformed our lives, and to be able to offer an invitation for how God might be able to do the same for them. Hmm. Do you feel that uh, evangelism has changed for our culture? Um, is it always the same? Do we have to uh, try new tactics, new uh, new processes, new avenues in order to kind of uh, um, break through the, the different challenges that we're facing in our current culture? Or is it really the same old uh, tradition of, of uh, expressing that belief system uh, to the culture that we are currently in? Has it, has it changed much throughout the years? So evangelism is, is, has two pieces to it, at least. Um, one is the actual content of the gospel itself. That doesn't change. Who Jesus is, um, the, tr- the salvation that he offers, uh, the work of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, those are all, those are all uh, essentials to the Christian faith, and they don't change. So, so that piece uh, is not, not shifting one way or the other. I want to hold fast to those doctrines, even though in my book I don't start with doctrine, I start with experience. I still don't want to let go of the essential doctrines that, uh, that has been handed down to us from the apostles. Um, by the same token, how we do that, how we share that, I think does have to shift over time. Uh, and, and in our culture today, the big shift that I think we're seeing is that we're moving away from the more propositionally driven, you know, believe these ideas. Here, let me just lay this out for you, and then you make a decision to follow Jesus and, and join a church, and that's, that's the end of it to a more relationally-based understanding of evangelism, where we're not just doing big rallies where we're trying to draw people in, and we're not just laying out uh, the, the basic belief systems and saying you need to come and accept these doctrines, but rather we're living alongside of people in relationship, and we're inviting them in, and we're forming new kinds of communities of faith. So there's still the traditional congregations, you know, we see those the church church buildings dotting our landscape, but there are also new kinds of churches that are forming, uh, new ways that Christians are gathering together that uh, allow for them to grow in their faith more effectively. So whether it's the new forms of house churches, whether it's the, uh, the satellite churches, uh, campuses that are being built by larger churches, I mean, there are all kinds of these new forms of churches that are forming and I think that, that all of that points to just a new place in our culture. And none of that's bad. It's just where we are now. People are more relational. They're more interested in connecting. And, uh, and they're interested in connecting in new ways that the church hasn't been using. Uh, well, new ways in some sense. I mean, they're, they're old ways, but they're, they're new to us because they haven't been used for maybe the last uh, half century or so as, as much as they're beginning to be used now. So, yes, there's absolutely a shift that's been taking place. Hmm. It's an interesting conversation as we think about the call that we all have to to share our faith and the opportunity. This is really a blessing, uh, Mark. I think that you would agree that this is a this is a blessing to be able to talk about our faith and invite people into something that has transformed our lives. This is something that we should all want to do. It's not something that we should have to be compelled to do, is it? 
I, I, I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> right, the, we, we do have the Great Commission. Jesus says, go. It's an imperative. We're supposed to go out and to, to share our, our faith with others. Um, and, and it has the attendant promise that we're not going on our own, but we're rather on, our, on, on God's home turf, as it were, because Jesus already has all authority in heaven and earth. So uh, there, is a, there is a command element to it, but I agree with you. It shouldn't just be about being commanded to go out. Um, I think for too, often, for too long, we've, we've tended to see evangelism like that. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, uh, Stephen Gunter, who teaches evangelism down at Duke University, and he, uh, he often calls evangelism that which we had inflicted upon us, which we feel obliged to inflict onto others. Um, and it's this idea that we feel like we're forced to do it. Mm. But I agree with you. If this is really something that's good, if God has really done something wonderful in our lives, then why wouldn't we want to share it? The same way that if we see a, you know, a good movie or we have, you know, eat at a restaurant that we think is really good and we want to share it with others because we want them to know uh, some of the goodness that we got to have out of life. This is, this is sort of the ultimate goodness that we have offered to us here. It's the goodness of knowing that our life has purpose and meaning, that our life is uh, guaranteed something beyond death, uh, and is something that also has the capacity to reach out and bless those who are around us. Um, in many ways, it's the antidote to all of the kind of hatred and angst mm-hmm. and pain that we see in the world today. We have that to offer. Um, and I think that if we can move to the place where we can see, this gets back to the introspection you talked about, where we can see that what God is doing in our lives transforms us in a way that helps to heal us from the anger and the angst and the pain that uh, is is so common that gives rise to the incivility and the stress that is felt by so many people in the world around us, uh, and that we have the opportunity to share that with them, I think we begin to realize we've got something really awesome here uh, that not only we are blessed by, that we can bless others with as well. And that, I think, if we can recognize it, if we can see the fullness of what God has done, then hopefully, yes, we want to share it with others. We want others to know it. We don't just want to, you know, hide it to ourselves. The world's in such desperate need of that kind of good news, and we've got the opportunity to share it. So... Yes, I think uh, it should be something that we want to do, Um, and I think that that's where our own formation, our own introspection helps lead us to that point. Mm. And I do think that our culture is shifting in such a way that people are far more receptive to hearing uh, your personal story as opposed to, you know, maybe something that comes down from a, a... uh, a structured pulpit, or whether it's a, a rally, they're much more interested in hearing a personal story about this. And I'm reminded of uh, uh, Penn Gillette, who uh, is this uh, famed magician, but also an ardent uh, atheist, a vocal atheist, who tells uh, a story on one of his YouTube channels about uh, a person that came up to him after one of his shows and witnessed to him, and how he said he was so grateful for that because a person believed in something sincerely enough that was willing to share it with him, whether he agrees with it or not, he was at least um, encouraged by the fact that the person cared enough to to tell him about it. That's uh, I think that's starting to see, we're starting to see that positive shift in our culture as well, don't you? 
I, I do. I think that there's an openness to it. I, I think it, it well, like we were talking about earlier, I think that it has, in, in some ways, there's, uh, there's an openness to people sharing each, stories with each other, their personal stories with each other. And that's why the authenticity piece is so important, that we're honest about where we're coming from. We don't try to make ourselves sound better. We don't try to build ourselves up as these great saints. Um, we don't try to ignore the fact that we still got questions uh, that we don't have answered that we don't try to ignore the fact that we still have points where we make mistakes, you know. And uh, so I think we have that authenticity, and I think out of that we can share that with other people, and that helps to bypass some of the concerns that oftentimes get raised about uh, evangelism being being this sort of Bible-thumping, judgmental activity. We're not coming and saying, we've got our lives all fixed up, and you need to be like us. We're coming and saying, hey, we found something good that leads us to uh, greater purpose and meaning, and ultimately, to use the Christian word, salvation, um, where we're going to be able to go and share the, the goodness of God eternally. We want you to join along with us as we're heading there. We're not, we're not saying we've already, you know, arrived, uh, just like St. Paul says in Philippians 3. You know, not that I've already attained it, but I keep pressing on. In some ways, evangelism is that. It's, it's inviting people to, to press along with us. We know the world's a mess. We know our own lives are a mess. We're not trying to pretend any of that isn't the case. All we're saying is we found the story in Jesus Christ that will lead to all things being set right. And, uh, and we want, want everybody to be able to join us as we move forward toward the day when, when those things are set right. Mm. It reminds me of uh, a time that... Uh, uh one of my coworkers was uh, wit- uh, was uh, telling me that uh, he didn't believe in in Christianity, and he knew I was a Christian, and he was mm-hmm. telling me all about all these negative stories he had interacting with other Christians and how they were all hypocrites. And after every story he'd tell me, I'd say, "Praise the Lord," <laughs> and he'd say, "Tell another story." I said, "Praise the Lord," and at the end, he, I, I I said, uh, "You know, it, uh, I'm sorry that uh, these people have hurt you in your life, but uh, it just shows that they're not saved by their works. They may have been con." descending in their process of sharing their faith with you. Uh, but uh, let me tell you, it's not by their works that they're saved. We're saved by grace. And he said, well, what does that mean? What does grace mean? Uh, I think a lot of times uh, our evangelism is, uh, w- our big blind spot is that we are often very condescending in how we communicate our faith, aren't we? Absolutely. I, so one, one little story we have uh, by the seminary where I teach, we have a coffee shop uh, that's owned by one of our, our former students who's graduated, and uh, often he'll uh, will hire different students from the seminary to come and work there precisely so they have an opportunity to be able to uh, share their faith out in public in the marketplace. And uh, so one of the, the young women from the seminary that was working there uh, she had a, a man who was from uh, Thailand that came in, and uh, he was just in for the year uh, studying at Northwestern University. And he came in and, and would order coffee, and they uh, kind of hit it off and would, would chat every day when he came in to get his coffee. And he explained that uh, his his village where he had grown up had had uh, missionaries who had come in and who had essentially just run everybody down. They were judgmental, they were angry, they told them they were all going to hell, etc. And uh, so he had a very negative view of what Christians are, that they were judgmental, that they were uh, hate-filled, uh, that they, they didn't care about people's uh, cultures or contexts or any of that. And uh, over the 
over the months as he stayed and he had the opportunity to talk to our, our student, um, she shared little bits about her own faith, about her, uh, her time in seminary, about her moving towards ministry. Well, the last day that he was in the States, he stopped in one more time to get coffee, and he said to her, you know, I used to think that Christianity was what the missionaries tried to uh, to get us to believe. He said, now I know that uh, the Christian faith is what you've shown in the hospitality and uh, the the love and the the openness that you've demonstrated to me over this past year, not what uh, what those missionaries were bringing. And so I, I think that that's another piece about where our culture is today. He didn't make a profession of, of faith in Jesus Christ, but it moved him from a place of being hostile towards the Christian faith to a place of at least understanding what the grace of God looks like in action. Uh, and I think that if we can embody that, if we can begin to demonstrate to people this is what grace looks like in action when we are hospitable, when we are listening, when we're uh, willing to engage with people and not just snap judge them uh, the way that so often happens today, then we really give them uh, an amazing picture of grace and, uh, and a sense of what God might be like, the way God is willing to be patient with us, to listen to us, to accept us for who we are, and then to work with us to get to a better place. So that's another piece, is that it's evangelism. Even if people don't say yes to Jesus right there, what we might be doing is, is preparing the ground, preparing the soil, so that eventually someone can plant the seed in there. But the, the soil is so rocky today in so much of our culture. Uh, it's got so many weeds that are growing through it. Some of us need to go out there and just clear that away through uh, good, virtuous living in, in people's eyes so that they can be open to hearing the gospel again. And uh, hopefully then it takes root and will bear fruit. Mm. I'm so glad we got to that point here in our conversation because that's exactly what we need to hear. We need to be reminded uh, of this this call to to evangelize not just in 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 a, a salvation message, but to, to to evangelize with our lives, with our actions, to let our works back up what we say and what we believe. We've been talking with Mark uh, Teasdale about his book. It's called Evangelism for Non-Evangelist, Sharing the Gospel Authentically. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about your book. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation, Adam.